hear me. А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая. Лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. Hi, my name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest, and today I'm joined by... Let's be honest, quite a regular guest. My guest is Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Ali. So, uh, Carrie, for those who haven't heard one of your previous appearances, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm Ali's hostage, who he gets when he can't convince a friend to watch a movie and have a conversation with him. <laughs> Um, I thought you might do that. Do what? <laughs> uh, say how you were under duress or something like that. Uh. Ali won tickets to go see a movie in London, and so it's middle of the week, and he needed somebody to go with him. And when that happens, who do you get to go with you? Your wife. I figured if I didn't invited someone else first without asking you, you might have been a little bit offended, so I thought I'd give you first refusal. Well, it would depend on who you'd be asking. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who I'd be, be asking that you'd have a problem with. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> um, so, yes, as, as Carrie quite rightly says I won some tickets to see a movie. It's being put on by Kino Classica, which is an organization that promotes the screening of uh, and organizes the screening of Russian and Soviet films in the UK, um, primarily London. And this is part of their the film we're watching today is part of their Youth on the March series, which by the time this goes out will be over, but apparently they're doing another season later on called Neverland, spelt N-E-V-A, so it's like based on St. Petersburg films. So anyway, enough free advertising for them. The River Neva runs through St. Petersburg, by the way, for those that didn't know that. Yes. Uh, useful clarification there. Thank you, Carrie. Sorry, I'm doing the patronizing my guest thing again, which, you know, previous listeners will probably have learned to recognize. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to learn to change my ways. Anyway, so, Carrie, the movie we're watching today, Asa, by, which is directed by Sergei Solovyov from 1987, had you heard about this film at all before 
I said, look, I got some tickets to go see this. Nope. All right. Well, that was a short conversation then. Um, I don't know a ton about it either. I just know that it was part of what Kino Classica was advertising as part of the Soviet New Wave. And they were really talking it up, saying it should be just as famous as the French New Wave and people should know about it just as much. It seemed like most of the movies were depressing and had to deal with themes around all of the Soviet Union and what was going on at the time and drugs and rock and roll and yeah yeah stuff um, like that i think that's youth yeah. and growing up and finding yourself when everything seems to be falling apart around you sort of a yeah i mean i think they did show some stuff that was from this from the 60s so stuff was you know kind of working okay-ish as far as people could tell but yeah yeah the ones they've done more recently have been like 80s late 80s yeah i didn't know a ton about this one either uh another podcast which we've talked about a few times carrie she's in russia did like a whole episode on victor soy and like the leningrad rock scene of the of the 80s um and i heard of soy when i was living in russia and i kind of knew vaguely that he was a big deal but i hadn't like searched his music out and they played a few clips and it was really really like right up my street so foreign and depressing yeah yeah did you notice how i just left a gap for you to insert joke about my music taste there well ali has very specific music tastes and he is not afraid to criticize anyone else's music that he considers to be cheesy <laughs> um, right, I will let people read between the lines there Again, I am This is in no way, shape, or form <laughs> A sore subject in our marriage <laughs> We also did our the our own music for our wedding As in like, you know, iPod DJ sort of a thing So you can imagine Well, it was not for the wedding itself For the, the reception and um, cocktail hour and whatnot. So you can imagine how many conversations we have had about this topic. I will leave it there. Anyway, I think we should really start talking about the film that we're going to be watching again. At the rate we're going, I'm probably not going in to watch the movie with you. <laughs> okay, so so anyway, that's, that's something of an introduction to... Uh, <laughs> the film. I don't know whether there will be a part two to this episode at this rate. But... Tune in uh, to <laughs> next time to find out if we do, in fact, make it into and out of London still married. <laughs> uh, funnily enough. Um... I get to pick the divorce music. <laughs> oh, man. Um, funnily enough, the last time we went into London to uh, uh to watch a movie specifically a russian movie was the movie loveless which we also did on the podcast and that's by coincidence how on dvd the day that we are recording this so who knows i'm mainly in it for the falafel <laughs> well hopefully we'll be able to find some of that in the vast expanses of london mm-hmm 
All right. So um, thank you very much for listening so far. Um, we're going to go away and watch the film, which, before we do so, we normally have a thing that we say. Payekhali. Right, which means off we go. So, three, two, one. Payekhali. Payekhali. <laughs> And we're back. Carrie and I have just watched Asa. That's Asa, that's right. I was pronouncing it wrong in the intro, but never mind. Uh, directed by Sergei Solovyov. And before we discuss what we thought of it, over to you, Carrie, for the summary. Not for the first time. I'm thinking this is going to not be the easiest task. Which is why I'm letting you do it. So the summary of Asa, it's a movie that takes a little while to get going. Um, main characters are Alika. Mm-hmm. Alika? Yep. I, I forget yeah. where the stress is, but yep. Um, Bananan and Archom? Ar- no, Andrusha. Uh, yeah, Andre. yeah. His, yeah, his surname is Krimov. Okay, cream. He has like enough. four or four, five different names. So Alika is a, we'll say, 20-year-old nurse. Yeah. She looked very young. I mean, initially I thought like, is she like 17 or 16? But she couldn't be. But she looks very young. Well, it said she was an, working as a nurse at right. one point. Right. But So I'll say 20. But would you agree that she looks perhaps younger She's than that? She's very young. The actress herself could be a bit younger yeah. than that. Um, Bananan is, my mom would call him artsy fartsy. He's kind of this out there lead singer in a band, doesn't have a real job, weird stuff hanging on the wall. Technically, he does have a real job. He's, but it's kind of like a, you can probably just show up to this, like, clock in and that's fine because officially you have to have a job otherwise that's parasitism and you're in trouble but yeah you get the feeling he's not exactly pulling a 9 to five thirty, nine to 6 deal because mm-hmm. he has a lot of time on his hands and yeah I think it's fair to describe him as shall we say bohemian would yeah. be the kinder way of describing him. Okay bohemian I think his job is the band plays in a hotel yeah so, like, while people are eating or, or whatever. Yeah, I thought he had, like, some kind of, like... Theater guard type gig, but you never see oh, him that's actually right. no, he's, do um, He's, uh, the Harbour Night Watchman. Okay. I think they said that at the ne- beginning. But he never, like, does the job. No. Ever. And nobody seems to really care that he's not doing it. Yeah. Hey, um, welcome to late Soviet work culture. Yeah. 
Um, Bananan is also, we'll say, early 20s. Yeah, again, he looks super, super young. He's mm-hmm. very baby-faced. Um, but he's clearly, like, past school age. Yeah. But we'll say, you know, so Alika and Bananan, both early 20s. Alika's boyfriend is Krimov. Yeah. He's, what, 50? Yeah, uh, hard, to, hard to place. Like, I, I would say, I'd say, like, 50 to mid-50s. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, but 50. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Quite. K- Krimov is, and Alika being together, you know. Yeah. There's it's, an age uh, difference. Not even, like, a May-September relationship. It's a, like, early April. <laughs> Cr- cradle robbing. Yeah. Jailbait yeah. type situation. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, which is especially appropriate, considering as as the movie goes on, you find out that Krimov is basically a mafia boss, or a mob boss. Yeah, I mean, you know from very early on he's shady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, y- you can tell that he's rich, but there's just something about his not... Yeah. Well, it, it seems to be implied early on, because don't we meet him on board the ship? Mm-hmm. And that he's probably smuggling something or something along or those trying lines. to figure out how much he can smuggle. Yeah, or how he would do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, it's not a hundred percent clear what depth of it it's in, and it becomes yeah. more and more clear. Yeah, or how nasty a guy he is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's difficult to tell. Is he just a corrupt businessman? Just. Yeah. Um, is he just a corrupt businessman, or is it worse? Or does he hurt people? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Spoiler alert ahead. Yes. Sorry, should have put that in, but, you know, it's the plot summary, so... So, Alika meets Bananan. Well, Alika has travelled to Yalta in Ukraine to meet up with Krimov. Yes, yeah. Because Krimov is sailing in yes. to Yalta on this big ship. For those who are less familiar with the geography of that part of the world, it's in the Crimean Peninsula, so... Yes. Um, And that's as much as we'll say on that. Because Ali does not want angry emails from anyone. Um, The UN, most countries in the UN recognise that as still being a part of Ukraine. Yes, point of order is duly noted, and we shall continue with the summary. Um... Krimov is not in port yet because the the ship's there's a storm, so the ship can't come into port. So she goes to the hotel and sees Bananan and his band playing. Um, meets Bananan. Yeah, it's kind of a gig slash yeah. party. It's well attended. Yeah, yeah, people are having fun, etc. So then Bananan says, "Hey, you can sleep at my boarding house. There's a spare room. It's you know, cheap. Some, it's cheap, etc." She does, and then next day she meets up with Krimov because he's able to pull into port. Krimov stays in a hotel, but he basically has this really nice, huge, like, apartment. It would be very nice today within this hotel. So you can tell he's got money. Or connections. And, yeah. Or both. Yeah. Um, yes. It turns out both, but anyway. Yeah, so Krimov and Alika are dating, but... As the movie goes on, she spends more and more time with Bananan, and it's more like they're dating, and she's starting to fall in love with Bananan, and her relationship with Krimov starts falling apart. But, you know, a uh, mafia boss is not going to be happy about some punk 20-year-old taking his girl. 
And he's really, really not. Yeah, so that's the setup for the tension and how those three main characters relate to one another. Um, and in the background, you have Krimov is trying to plan and pull off a heist to steal stuff, and Bananan is playing songs with his band and recording and has some friends and and that sort of thing's going on, and yeah. just kind of being whimsical and bourgeois, not bourgeois, bohemian, there yeah. we go, and trying to be as out there as possible. Yeah, and, you know, wooing uh, Alika as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and the, the other mild undercurrent is that you have these cops, or I, I thought they were kind of a special elite unit of cop because they weren't wearing uniforms. Yes, are plain, trying... we'd call them plain clothes officers. Yeah, well, investigators of some sort. Yeah. Because they aren't even plain clothes. Like, these are, they seem like they're top level or yeah. some sort of special, like I said, special investigative yeah. unit. Which I guess in the context would mean they're like KGB guys, but they're not like just the regular because like so many people are in the KGB this is a kind of like it's it's never clearly stated no, at all no um for reasons that you will you can understand yeah so there are various uh we'll call them police officers for la or investigators for lack yeah. of a better term who are trying to catch Krimov and Krimov is trying to and Krimov's associates and the associates and Krimov himself are trying to stay like ahead of them ahead, at least yeah and also Krimov is doing some light reading in his spare time yeah occasionally you'll see Krimov read a book and the book is about Tsar Paul and his assassination and yes. and what happens immediately like some imaginary scenes before the, he's assassinated so the movie will periodically cut back to, what would that be, early 1800s? It's, yeah, it, uh, yes, I think it's... 1801, 1802? Something in there, yeah, yeah. Very early 1800s. Yeah, I think there's three, four, maybe even five of these little interludes, and he literally, you know, he'll get to the end of the day... Or he'll be in a car waiting for something, and he'll pick up the book, and then we're transported off to, you know, mm -hmm. Russian yeah. history. And then we'll spend a few minutes back in Russian history, and then I'll go back to the present day. Yeah. So there's a... And Bananan has a couple dream sequences, so there's a lot going on in this movie. There's a, It's fairly difficult to sum up, but there's not a lot as far as plot. It, it All the action happens in, within a few days. I think so, um, yeah. And the movie kind of gets darker and darker mm. as it, and more involved as it goes on. Yeah. It's a long movie. It's not quite two and a half hours, but I'd say two hours twenty. In fact, that kind of contributed to us having a slightly interesting day when we watched this. Yeah. And then when we got to the end of the movie, it's... I don't want to give away the ending and exactly what happens, but the the movie ends in such a way that you want to watch the credits yes. because there's kind of a concert and a song going on in the background. So as the credits started rolling, no one moved 
like everyone in the theater stayed still to watch the whole credits until the very end. And Allie and I are sitting there going, we have to catch a train out of London. When's it going to come? When's it going to end? When's the train coming? Do we have enough time? So we had to get up and leave about three minutes before the credits finished. Well, the credit, yeah, yeah, the credits were rolling, but they weren't done. And it wasn't just like, okay, the screen is black and it's a bunch of names, which... You know, it's respectful to stay to watch the credits, but many people yeah, don't. Yeah, it's, it's like the, the credits were kind of rolling in such a way that it wasn't covering the whole screen and mm. then kind of to the side of this concert playing and the song going. Um, and, yeah, so we eventually we got about three minutes from the end and we're like, we just have to go. So we did, in fact, leave. And it felt really disrespectful and awkward to get up and yeah. leave before ever because we were really, like, the only ones... You yeah. were getting up and leaving. Yeah, which um, is rare. It's very rare. Although it is good that we did because yes. we we ended up making the train just like if we had stayed to the end, we probably would have missed the train, and then we would have had to wait another hour in the station. And then while on the train, two very drunk guys sat behind us, and one I think tried to offer me his hamburger from Burger King. Yeah, by sticking it. Between, between the, the seats. seats. Yeah. And I thought Allie was trying to touch my cheek, <laughs> and except his hand doesn't smell like burger grease. And then not the, usually. Not usually, no. There are occasions. Mm-hmm. And then the guy's trying to talk to me, and I had no idea what they were saying. Yeah. At all. I um, was barely able to decipher what they were saying. So we, Allie and I actually just looked for the um, credits and the final scene on YouTube so that we could watch and listen to the song to the very end to make yeah. sure that we weren't, um, yeah. that, that nothing else happened. And yeah. it was, quote unquote, just the song. Um, so in a very technical sense, we had just finished watching, in brackets, the end of Asa. Mm-hmm. And, of course, not being able to talk about the movie the whole way home has been kind of difficult. So I have no idea what you actually think of this. Well, one thing I'd like to say is that it actually turns out to be really good that I started the intro by talking about music and the problems we have with uh, your taste in music and mine being very different. Because there was quite a lot of music within this movie. It was practically a musical with how often there were songs playing and whatnot. Yeah, but not just songs. A lot of the time there was incidental music. And some of it was totally like weird sort of non-music really basically like scratching on guitar strings and kind of like playing notes on strings whilst detuning them like for the scene where the cops interrogate one of Krimov's crew he's being interrogated and breaking down and there's just this weird like atonal bizarro music going on behind it but yeah but you were saying something about the music. Yeah, you see, like, um, Bananan's band plays a lot, and some of what he, it plays is, for example, disrespectful or ironic about what's going on in the scene. Yeah. Like there's one scene where a, um, it's one of Cremo's crew, but he's wearing 
a military uniform. It's an Air Force uniform. Air Force uniform, that's right. It's very and, important, though, that it's Air Force. Yeah, because he, he pays Bananan and his band to play a song that praises the Air Force so you can ask a girl to dance and feel, like, really cool. Baba S. Baba S. And Bonan technically does what he's supposed to be doing, but it doesn't really, like the song... You don't get the feeling that it's like particularly sincere. No, no, no it's it's definitely more ironic than anything else. Yeah, well, it's he's also like wearing a sort of World War One ish like flying cap and cap goggles, and goggles, which is weird because the impression you get is that they're having to improvise this song because he's just requested it. Yet. Somehow he just happens to have like this. The Beatles. costume change. Yeah, so either they just happen to coincidentally have this gear lying around, which, you know, given the other stuff we find out about Bananan, that's not something I would totally put past him just having one of those to hand, but anyway. Yeah. But what I wanted to ask you was did you actually like the music? Because I know the, like the songs. Um, yeah, they were. Uh, the music was was really interesting. I mean, like you were saying, a lot of them are kind of jokey and ironic, but they were they kind of alternated between like in terms of the song songs, they were mostly like fun, but uh, some of like the incidental music that was melodic was really good. I think uh, Boris uh, Gribenshikov, who's like the lead singer. I've, I'll probably get this wrong. I want to say it's uh, no, it's Aquarium. I nearly said it was Leningrad, but it wasn't. It's it's Aquarium. Uh, did a lot of the soundtrack, and there's some sitars on there. It's I really liked it. Wow, <laughs> music that Ali liked. Yeah, I'm not as perhaps as picky as I used to be. Slash Andor. <laughs> As Carrie makes out, I think I've mellowed, but uh-huh. what did you think of it, hun? I thought it was good. I mean, the the scene at the end, you have um, Victor Tsoi yeah. is singing. He was a famous Soviet rocker. Yeah. Um, I think we discussed him a bit in the beginning, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he's kind of in that like rock and roll age of death. I think he was like 27 or 28 when he died, mm-hmm. but yeah. So he kind of has that sort of Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain kind of... Or if we're going to go with Russia, Pushkin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort or, of um, status. Oh, the other guy. Oh, Lermontov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Russian poets. Yes. Uh, so there, there is a bit of that going on. Oh, another thing while we're on this subject of music. This is kind of a tangent into other stuff that I wanted to talk about. I noticed a couple of allusions to possible allusions. I think there were allusions to other Russian films in this one. Uh, one of which was, there were, in a couple of scenes, there were strains of this piece by Bach. And I only knew that it was a piece by Bach 
because it's in the intro of Andrei Tarkovsky's Solaris, except on this it's played on quite weird instruments. I mean, it's a slightly weird version in the Tarkovsky film, but it's it's almost like, I think if I didn't recognise it from that film... Because I, I didn't recognise it as being Bach at all. No, but that's because it's very fragmented, but I recognise the, the melody, and it's kind of in the background. It was the scene where he's with... Um, Richie. Richie. Oh, sorry, yes. Important detail. Kremov mm-hmm. is with his two friends slash, like, colleagues who... The ones that are the actors? Yes, yeah, who are of the smaller person variety. I'm not quite sure what the most respect... Is it little people? Yeah, yeah. I know what it definitely isn't, and mm-hmm. I, I know... Sometimes people feel like little people or small people is patronising, which, you know, I can see how you'd feel that way. But yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he has a, he's shooting a video with them on some kind of grainy footage and they're in the snow. And then we have these little strains of this Bach piece in the background. Сейчас наш сад выглядит необычно. Все субтропические растения покрыты большим слоем снега. Такие теплолюбивые растения, как апунцы, бомбуки и некоторые виды illusion I think I noticed was not quite at the beginning but very early on you see Alika standing in the in the harbour and you just have these crashing waves and it and in Battleship Potomkin they do that so okay massive tangent ahoy sorry <laughs> yeah no. the the other thing about the movie that got me and kind of made it difficult to watch was um, Bananan's friend Vitya? Yeah, Vitya is in blackface. <laughs> yeah, and he in the in the credits he is. I'm going to loosely translate it as Vitya, the black guy, and yeah, yeah. It's it's not blackface like Hollywood did it in the no. 30s and 40s. It's where it's clearly like charcoal black and jokey. And, hey, look, aren't black people hilarious? No, it's definitely trying to seriously make him look black. It's just in the beginning, there's this one conversation where they're like, no, he's a real black guy, a real black guy in the Soviet Union. Isn't he a black guy? And they're going on and it's like on and on and on about how much he's a black guy. And it makes you think, yeah, they they protest too much. Yeah. It's like, wow, you couldn't find a single Russian-speaking black guy to do this. And they kind of make a point that, you know, we have... Maybe they don't make a point, but certainly, like, if you've lived in Russia for any time at all, you'll know that lots of students from various African countries go over there to study, and this has gone back to... Soviet times because it was kind of like get a good education and we get to teach you to become a good Marxist so everyone wins 
So yeah, that being a big de- made such a big deal of is kind of weird because it's kind of like yeah, well we know about this. Well, it could be there are themes throughout it about the government doing one thing and saying another and not really meaning what it means and t- kind of taking the piss out of the Soviet Union. Yeah. So this could be yet another way because it mentions that his de- in the movie his dad is supposedly an Angolan freedom fighter who was tortured to death and his mom's Russian. Yeah. So I think tortured to death by somebody within Angola, not tortured to death by the Soviets. No. <laughs> um, just wanted to get that yeah. clear and out there. But it, it would just... Every time he was in a scene, all I could think was, they have an actor in blackface. Yeah. And I know that Hollywood and the States aren't innocent of the whole thing, but it's just... It it took me out of it every time he was, was on the on screen. screen. And, you know... The actor is doing... Yeah, he's doing fine as an an actor. Yeah, and he's portrayed as a positive character. So, on the one hand, it's nice that they've got a black character and that he's portrayed as being, like, just as capable and brave and interesting as all the white characters. It's just, as you say, kind of a shame they couldn't find a black actor who could speak Russian to do it. Yeah. But it, like you was like you're saying Hollywood's not blameless and this film came out only 3 years after 16 Candles which has that hideous portrayal of Vietnamese I thought it was Japanese exchange student but it doesn't No, he's Vietnamese because he's called Long Duck Dong. It doesn't really matter. It's a horribly <laughs> horribly offensive portrayal of a foreign exchange student from Eastern Asia who doesn't speak English well, and it's awful. Hey, at least they cast an East Asian actor in the role. Yeah, as opposed to having somebody in yellow face. Yeah, although, just to clear up any ambiguity, I think that film is way more racist for doing that than this is. Yes. It's super not cool that it's blackface, but at least they're not like, hey, look, these people who are, are a different race to us, they're really stupid, aren't they? Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, John Hughes, you made some good films, but you sucked in that regard. Yes. Right. So now we've got the awkward racial element to the film kind mm-hmm. of talked about. How did you like the other performances. I mean, I think I liked Krimov the best out of all the other performances. It was it was kind of a quiet, slow-burning menace that didn't really fully come in until half to two-thirds of the way through the movie is when you really started to feel how bad of a guy he was. Yeah, because he's, like you say, it's quite a nuanced you know, he builds it up. And, yeah, when you, when it, the nastiness comes, you're like, oh, right. And he's he's not just a, a thug, though, as well. He, he's portrayed as quite cultured. Like, mm-hmm. we see him reading this book. Apparently he quotes some Pushkin at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like a 
Of course, I'm not saying like you can't be a criminal and cultured, but and he plays tennis. And at first, all you you see him. The only thing you see him do that's quote unquote bad is the whole well, how much can I fit in here to smuggle sort of a thing. Yeah, but you don't really see any like he's not getting interrupted from dinner to go beat a guy up or anything until slowly it's like. He says to one character, oh, hide this for me. And it turns out to be a gun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and while planning the heist, and he's like, this is how you're going to steal this expensive violin for me. And it's like, it's it, the guy who has to steal it doesn't really have much of a choice. It's like, this is how it's going to happen. And Yeah. Well, and then he, well, he shuts the guy in the, in the violin case, like... Double bass. Double bass case. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not that small. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And which must be quite upsetting, but he does it in kind of like a slow, it's not like he grabs him and like shoves him in the case and like shuts him in and goes, until you promise to do the job, I'm not going to let you out. But it is kind of like he briefly shuts him in there and then he unlocks it. And then when he opens it up, uh, the guy's crying. Well, the... The reason why the this this is one of his quote unquote friends who's a one of the actors and a, a little person, so that's how he's able to fit in this double base case, right? And why he's probably wanted for this particular job? Why he'd be wanted for the why he'd be able to do this particular job in this particular way? But the thing is, um, the the actor is in quite a bit of debt, and that's why he he's quote unquote willing. Yeah. To do this for Krimov yeah. because he can't pay back the debt. But the thing is, before the actor talks to Krimov about his debt and says, look, I need help paying it off, Krimov has a conversation about needing the double base case. Mm. So you kind of wonder if this old debt or something like Krimov knows about it and is purposely calling it in. In order to force this guy to help him with the heist. Yeah. Because you know, at first he's like calling somebody and saying, I need a double base case. And I'm like, why on earth? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it only comes out later. Yeah. I mean, if it is spelled out, I may have missed this in the subtitles. I don't think it was spelled out at all. It yeah. was only thinking about it on the mm. train on the way home that I'm like, wait a minute, that order. It's not like... And uh, the actor said, hey, I need help with this debt. And then they got the double base case. And then the plans started coming together for the heist. No, it's like the plans for the heist were put into play. And then the actor talks to him about the ba- the debt. And then and it's like, no, Krimov started everything from the beginning. And that's why it's like a menace slowly building. Because he's having this nice, pleasant conversation in front of everyone. And then you're yeah. like, oh, this... This wasn't a pleasant thing. This was... Like, subtly bullying people. Because the thing, yeah, he's uh, he's civil in the vast majority of his interactions, especially early on. You don't even hear him swear. Mm. Like, there are a few swear words, especially towards the end, but really not at all. The, as far as the conversation goes, most yeah. of it's just, it's PG. yeah. I mean, part of that, I guess, was, I mean, obviously the censorship at this point was easing right up. But there is some swearing, as you say, and like a few years before that, that wouldn't have been allowed at all. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, he's, 
he's not your like cardboard cutout. Here's a mob boss. Mm-hmm. And you don't have anything in the like in the Godfather where you can't see the the guy's eyes. Yeah, they're all in shadow. Yeah, and it yeah. gives him this really sinister look. Like you don't have that obvious sinister. Yeah, there's nothing quite vibe. like that vibe about him. Yeah, not not wanting to knock Marlon Brando's performance in in The Godfather, but he's very much playing a very obviously sinister guy from minute one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the lighting and the costuming and everything else goes into that and makes it seem more and more like that, where I think Krimov mm-hmm. is supposed to be not obviously awful right, right from the beginning. And that's part of how he's managed to kind of elude the authorities. Because he's kind of... He's not totally just blend into a crowd, like, meek and mild. He's quite a confident... You know, he carries himself with a lot of authority, but he doesn't kind of come across as, like... I don't know. I think he gets away with a lot because he pays off the cops. Because there's one mm. scene where Krumov and Bananan are standing on the street, and Bananan's wearing an earring. And you do not wear earrings as a man in the Soviet Union. And Krumov and the cop comes up to Bananan's like, "Take that off." Yeah. Essentially, and Krumov says, "He's with me." And then the cop apologizes and runs away. Yeah, I think that was just after Bananan has. Like literally spent spent a day in the police cells for wearing an earring. Yeah, and he gets beaten up in in the cell for wearing an earring. Yeah, and refusing to take it off. Yeah, uh, we we should point out it isn't just any old earring either. It's kind of a, de- a side detail. We'll probably come back to this, but it's an earring that has a uh, oh, what what are those photo booths called? Photo booths. Well, it's just a photo booth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Alika and Bananan went into a photo booth and took pictures of themselves in this photo booth, and then he cuts a picture, one of those pictures off, and sticks it on an earring. Yeah. Or makes an earring of it and wears it around. Yeah, and the really cute and funny thing about that is whenever he it's raining or he's going anywhere where he might get wet, he has this plastic bag that he just puts around his ear and the earring so that it doesn't get damaged, which yeah. just, you know, is quite cute, but does draw even more attention to it than, you know, having a photo booth picture stuck to your ear. <laughs> Who does anyway? Yeah. And yeah, in terms of yeah, going back to Krimov and his relationship with Alika, how did you find the way that was played? I mean, there were at first it, it looks like it's kind of completely consensual and they're happy to be together and isn't this wonderful and apparently like you find out that it's they've been together for three years and he's called her every day while they've been apart. And, and all this stuff, and, and the only part that kind of rubs you the wrong way is he's obviously old enough to be her father. The controlling stuff is not immediately visible. It only starts to come out later. Yeah, it kind of seems like that she's there because, you know, however misguided it is, she wants to be. Mm-hmm. And she really loves him and cares about him. And I think she you get the impression she does care about him. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's part of what the, the tension in the plot becomes. Like, as she's falling in love with Bananan, she gets conflicted between Krimov versus Bananan. Yeah. And what Krimov's 
is like versus what Bananan is like and the different lifestyles and different types of people that they are. The problem is with Krimov, you know, he's a mafia boss. He's not going to allow his girlfriend to leave him for some little punk. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so from this point, to discuss it properly, I potentially have to give away the ending. So super, 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 super spoiler alert. But Kremov doesn't go straight to the ultimate resolution of the problem that he goes to. That isn't his first Yeah, it's a bit cat and mouse. Yeah. Playing with your prey before you kill him off. Yeah, I didn't read it that that way. I read it as he's just, he's trying to get rid of him without having to get rid of him and it just doesn't work. But the going swimming thing. Yeah, but he could totally have killed him then if he'd wanted to. They they go swimming in the Black Sea in winter. Yeah. So it's cold, crazy cold, and I don't know how they didn't both get hypothermia because Bonanon clearly has hypothermia afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Krebov is like... Okay, like I guess because Bonanon is absolutely stick thin, whereas Kremov, not that he's stick thin, he's in decent shape, but he's got a bit more muscle and and stuff on him. Yeah, he's kind of like middle aged man who's done a pretty good job of looking after himself. He's not like super lean, but he's he doesn't have a paunch really. No. Um, but yeah, at one point when they get, they're far out and can't see shore at all, and then they keep, swim even further, and then Krimov kind of holds his head under, uh, Bananan's head underwater a bit before he lets him swim back to shore. Yeah. And I thought that was Krimov trying to subtly say, look, kid, I can off you at any point. Right, but that's what I mean. He, he try, he's trying to intimidate him to just like, to, you know, make himself scarce rather than just, like, fine, I'm just going to murder you straight off. Mm-hmm. But Bananan, for some reason, thinks, oh, yeah, I can totally stand up to a mafia boss. Yeah, I mean, I don't know... Uh, that That's before the, the horse race, though, isn't it? Yes, no, it is. Yeah. And at the it's not quite a horse race. It's like a buggy race? Something chariot like race? It's not chariots. <laughs> yeah. Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur. They have a Ben-Hur sequence. Um, yeah, I, was, I was surprised at this because I didn't realise that there was kind of like organised gambling in the Soviet Union. That seems like something that well, it, Lenin would have been uncool about. Yeah. There are horse races and they have those little, they're not chariots, but they're not carts or whatever. Like yeah. Like racing carts. Yeah. Um, with the horse race and they put bets on it. And Krimov tells Bananan exactly how to bet and exactly how to win. And he puts, he wins like nearly 4,000 rubles or like some amazing amount of money for yeah. the time. Coincidentally, just enough money to, or at least enough money to pick up your whole life and move somewhere far away, which, hey, in the Soviet Union, quite a lot of places are really far away. So. Well, no, he only asks him to move for two weeks. Oh, okay, I missed that. Yeah, he doesn't even ask him to move away permanently. He basically says, go on a two-week vacation, and when you get back, we'll be gone. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought he was... I, I totally misread that then, because I, I thought it was basically saying, look, go and settle somewhere else. No, no. Uh, well, he okay. was telling him to get get lost. Sure, yeah, yeah. But it, it wasn't even, like, completely uproot your life and never come back. It was, mm. you know, just give me two weeks. Okay, yeah, I, I misread that then. And, and Bananan refuses. Yeah. Despite this this show of, look, I can control how this horse exactly yeah. who's going to come in first, second, and third yeah. within this race. Yeah, and he spells it he spells it out. He says something along the lines of, I'm someone who can make things happen. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty much as clearly as you could demonstrate something like that. Mm-hmm. If you can fix a race perfectly for who is going to come into what place. Yeah. And also, in terms of like him being reluctant to just off somebody... Uh, we were talking about the police mm-hmm. investigators catching up with him. At one point, he's being followed through not quite some back streets, but it's kind of a windy bit of town, quite picturesque. Mm-hmm. And he basically catches the guy who's following him and he roughs him up, but he doesn't kill him. And he totally could. He totally had the opportunity. And also his henchman could have... Killed the guy. Well, that's because the guy says, I don't want to work for... I think this is one of the investigators. It's one of the investigators. Oh, it is, yeah. But he says, oh, I don't want to work for the people I'm working for anymore. I want to work for you. Yeah. Is essentially the vibe I got. And, he does. And Krimov basically says, okay, I'll have to make a couple calls to check you out. Yeah. In the meantime, be at this place at this time. So it's... I think would think as a mafia boss that's even smarter as far as um, being able to uh, potentially send investigators a method a message rather yeah. or being able to mess with them in some way. Yeah, and I and I'm also guessing as a mafia boss, you probably think a lot harder about offing a member of the security investigative st- services than like a random kid because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's going to have much more serious re- repercussions they're going to be much more committed to you know finding you and yeah making your life very difficult so that's probably you know it's not just out of the kindness of his heart but yeah mm-hmm. he's quite a calculating guy he's not just a like mm-hmm. shooting everyone up type mafia no. boss no he is not um we're making this sound incredibly bleak and depressing, which is part of it, but I thought it was quite funny. You? I did not laugh nearly as often as people in the theatre did. Mm. Like, there was a lot of laughter in the theatre at various parts, but I just didn't find it funny. Okay. I mean, you laughed along with everyone else, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, I mean, there were parts that were light and amusing and lighthearted and like... With Alika and Bananam, when they were on some of their dates, they were very, you know, yeah, like I said, lighthearted and youthful and young love sort of a, a vibe. But it just, I didn't think it was funny. Okay, because I, I found quite a lot of it funny in a, not like that was a hilarious joke, which is partly, you know, just Russian is not my native langu- language, and I haven't reached that level where, you know, I can pick up a clever pun, particularly, but it was more like the humour of something weird or awkward happening. 
Or, or just whimsical. Well, you're English. Of course you like the humour of something awkward. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I've tried to make Carrie watch more than one Fault Towers episode in a row, and... That has not gone well. No. It's like you can handle about one, and then you get, like, a cringe overdose. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I thought it was funny in a weird way. And just some of, like, Bananan's creations are quite funny. Like, I liked the communication tube, which he says in English, uh, which is basically, like, this just bit of piping that you put your mouth to and you get the other person to put their ear to the other end when you want to tell them something like important or intimate which Mm -hmm. just i don't know why that's funny but i thought that it was but it's kind of odd that it's the whole irony doing the opposite sort of thing that you'd want to tell somebody something important or intimate and I'm going to be intimate with you in some way, and therefore I'm going to put this thing between us this and put this artificial... Massive, stupid bit of piping, yeah. Yeah, it's barrier. It's really unwiel- unwieldy. That's probably why it's funny, yeah. I didn't think this was funny, but it was kind of cute. Well, to, Sorry. to go back to the communication dude, then Bananan gives it to Alika... Mm. And she goes to talk with Krimov in it. She's like, you first, and you tell me something. And he, you see him tell her something like, it's our third anniversary. Let's have a party. Who do you want to invite? But you never see her tell him anything. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, I guess I guess not. Interesting. So that that's a bit of the dynamic of their relationship. He's in charge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Subtly. But he's in charge. It's, yeah. I want to celebrate this, so let's have a celebration. And yeah, sure, it's sweet. Let's let's celebrate our anniversary. But yeah. it's this is what I want to do for to celebrate our anniversary in this way, and this is how we will do it. Yeah. You do see a bit of violence in physical violence rather than like psychological or emotional violence in the relationship between the two of them. In the I, very very end. Yeah. The way. I read it was that that was either like the first time he'd actually hit her or yeah I thought it was the very first time as well yeah okay I, well I, I'm I'm glad that 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 wasn't me just being totally off about about that I mean it's difficult to know but he did, he hits her because she pours cologne into his eyes right and then he reacts in pain by hitting her, and then she hits him. Yeah. So there's some not some un- unhealthy behaviours going both ways. Sure, sure. I'm trying to remember exactly why she pours the cologne into his eye. I think it's... Some... She just gets fresh. He says, I have a headache, uh-huh. rub, rub cologne on my temples. So it's not even, can you please? It's... Mm. I have a headache, do this thing to make me feel better. So yeah. she starts rubbing the cologne on his temples, and then she just decides to pour it on his eyes. Yeah. And because cologne has quite a bit of alcohol in it, that would sting. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, yeah. I never want that to happen to me, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think it's also soon after the uh, swimming in the cold harbour incident, and he's kind of like... Yes. Said, 
oh, he'll be fine. And mm-hmm. she, you can tell, or at least I thought, you know, she wants to go to him, but she obviously doesn't feel like she can, but that seemed to be, like, the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very upset at Krumov for taking him for a swim in the middle of winter. Um, yeah, understandably. Um. Anyway, the, the other whimsical moment that you wanted to talk about before I further it, put my input on the communication tube. <laughs> yes. No, it was the... I play, like, a record on a record player, but he's modified it, so it has, like... I'm not sure what it's made out of. It seems like metal or shiny plastic, like palm tree. So it's spinning as the record turns. And then he drops something, which I think must have been, like... Baking soda. Oh, okay. I thought it might it might be that, or it might be soap flakes. Pishibaya soda. Ah, okay. Yeah, missed that. It was baking soda. Yeah. Carrie's Russian is considerably better than mine. I also did most of the grocery shopping as far <laughs> as like making the lists and whatnot. True. So True. In terms of keeping the record straight, for a long time when you were working an office nine to six job in Moscow City and I was still an English language teacher, I was doing the grunt work of the weekly shop, so <laughs> Yes, he was. But, like, I would actually create the list, so it was more like me needing to know, oh, I'm planning on baking something, you know, baking soda's this, and then I would write it down. Now I just had to, was a bit more passive of just, (laughs) this is what matches that. Yes, it's fair to say that... And sometimes for things like baking soda, I would write it in English next to it, what it was. For a while, when we were getting used to the subtle linguistic differences between the British and American variations of, of English, we would sometimes just use the Russian word because we both knew what we were talking about. Like, yeah. Kinza. Oh, yeah, Kinza. Uh, so that's cilantro for Americans, coriander for Brits. Yes. Kabachok, uh, which is... Zucchini. Slash... I can't even remember the English word now. Courgette. There we go. English, British English. Uh, and we have generally, genuinely had an argument about a mix-up with cilantro coriander. Yeah, yeah. So it, using the Russian did help. But anyway, yes. tangent off of our marriage. Is back into <laughs> yes. Pishivaya soda, yeah. the, uh, the tree, and sprinkling the baking soda onto the tree. Onto, on the, the, onto the palm tree, specifically. It's a palm, palm tree, tree and that's it's like... Oh, look, it's it's snow falling on a palm tree, which, you know, can only happen in Crimea. Because in summer, it's really, really warm. Because it's on the Black Sea. It's like, like Turkey or Greece. Like, yeah. it's that kind of yeah. climate. One of the final few things I want to talk about in the film is just, what did you think of the cinematography and direction and, like, you know, the way the camera moved and stuff? Do you have any strong feelings on that? Um... I thought there were some interesting shots as far as the way conversations were done when Krumov was talking, because it was often filmed with a camera in a different room from Krumov. And he was often walking away from the camera. You somehow couldn't see his face or was on on the side when he was talking to anyone. Hmm. Not anyone, but it's just, it was often indirect, not quite... Like, he wasn't facing the camera. It, it it just... 
It was a bit of the whole, he's slightly shady, he's not quite being straight with us as viewers or people that he's talking to or with what's going on around him. I don't know whether this is a variation of the same thing, but it's, if not, it's certainly similar. I noticed a tendency when conversations were being shot that it would look at the people having the conversation for a while and then there'd be someone like incidental, like a waiter or someone would come in and then instead of continuing to focus on the peop- the main people in the conversation, it would like follow the the waiter or whoever's walking away from the table, but you'd still hear the conversation going on, mm. which was kind of weird, but it did it a few times to the point where I thought, that's a deliberate something. I'm not sure mm-hmm. why it's doing that or what we're supposed to read into it, but it's a, you know, we're doing this on purpose. Yeah, he very rarely did the thing where, like, two characters are having a conversation and you do a mid to close-up shot of the one character talking, then mid to close-up shot of the other, then mid to close-up... Like, you you don't have a conversation where it's cutting back and forth between them. Yeah. You'll film both of them talking to one another, and you're far, the camera's far enough away to see both of them. Another thing they did is they did quite a lot of... Or th- all three of them, or however many are in the conversation. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. I don't know whether it would have been handheld, but... Because, you know, the equipment back then. But certainly following people around corridors in quite a sort of shaky, like, not quite documentary, but... I thought that was a deliberate choice. Oh, sure, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it was it was repeated and they did it quite a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and again, not quite sure what it, what I thought it meant, but... Well, it might have been a bit more of the everything's slightly off kilter and nothing's mm. quite what it's supposed to seem to be. You have shots of people, you know, you have some people, characters who are actors, you have people who are setting things up and doing things behind the scenes and doing shady deals. Like, everything's not exactly what it is, except with Bananan. He is what he is the whole way. He's weird. he's off the wall he combines all kinds of things where it's like that shouldn't go with that but he is who he is until the end and a lot of it kind of works in a funny way Mm -hmm. and there's some beautiful scenery shots there's there's one bit where Alika and Bananan take a cable car which it's, it, I don't know whether it's... I think it's sunset or approaching sunset. This cable car would not pass health and safety inspections in the UK. No, I would not get on this thing. So it looked super not safe, but it did look very pretty, like kind of going over the roofs and just seeing the city. I haven't kind of realised the topography of that bit of Crimea as well. It seems like... The town that they're in is built on quite a steep hill, so you get some quite dramatic shots of overlooking bits of the city. Mm-hmm. So, and the concert footage at the end is really cool as well. Yes. Slash cheesy in some ways. Yes, everyone has lighters. Yeah, but it kind of works. I, I really like... The... You liking something that's cheesy? Yes, I know. What? I know, I know. For shame. Uh, 
Actually, going back to the the, the humour, I think that's one of the funnier bits is when Soy, Victor Soy, is basically replacing Bananan as the band leader and he's applying for the job. And under normal circumstances, you have to be a member of the musicians' union and be like uh, an accredited musician to do. Have graduated from a music college, sort yeah. of a deal. In order to get the job, and the very bureaucratic hotel staff member is kind of like, "Do you have all of these things?" And Soy is very like rock and roll, like no. Um, and she goes, well, it just so happens that we're really struggling to find somebody, so I guess we'll have to just over overlook it. And then she starts to reel off this massive, massive long list of kind of contractual obligations and behaviours that he's supposed to be complying to and when he has to show up and all this. And he just gets up and walks off. And That was funny. It's it's really rude, but <laughs> I understand why he did that. Um, and then he just goes and joins the band in the performance area of the hotel, and you see them playing, and then the camera flips around from them in the hotel to this massive crowd with lighters. And it looks cool, and it flips back, and they're you know it's, they're clearly. You know, playing a stage in a massive stadium, and that's the end credits. And that's uh, the song's Perimien, which is a really famous Kino song. And I mean, it's partly really famous because it's in this movie, which loads of people really liked. Mm-hmm. It, it would be interesting, you know, to look up the words to Perimien because that, like, a lot of the themes in that song seem to be some of the themes of what people are asking for, wanting yeah. in the movie. It's basically the the main chorus is I want change and then it switches to like we're waiting for change or or you could translate as we're expecting change because like the Russian word for wait I always feel has more of a aspect of or connotation of we're expecting something than just wait ha- like the, the a word. bit more anticipation to it yeah 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 like you can say I'm literal translation is i'm very waiting for something in in russian like those literal words mean i'm really looking forward to Mm -hmm. um so so yeah and it's that song is really good and if it wasn't really good then it would feel like that ending was super tacked on just because you wanted to have this cool band in your film this still feels slightly like that to the cynical side of me, but I think I think they get away with it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Before we wrap this thing up, mm-hmm. I have a question about accessibility. Meaning? Smoislier. <laughs> Possibly the wrong person to ask, because I'd have to ask somebody who watched the film who just didn't really know very much about Russia and like whether they got it or whether it made sense or or whatever but do you think I don't think I got it really fully no I'm not saying I did either but I felt like if I'd watched this before I went to Russia even more of it would have just totally gone over my head like 
they refer to Russian poets like Mayakovsky, who I'd certainly not heard of before I went to Russia. And it's not super important who that is, but it is kind of useful to, you know, because ju- they just mention him as a name. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, I'm getting to the point where, like, I started studying Russian in university when I was 18, and I'm getting to the point that that was basically half my life ago. Mm, Not quite. But, like, all of my adult life, essentially, I've either been studying Russian something or living in Russia. It's, it's, it's a I don't think I can answer that question about whether or not it would be accessible if you didn't know anything about uh, Yevgeny Onyegin that Krimov starts reciting as a, a great example of pu- why Pushkin is so great mm. and all this other stuff. So it's, I mean, I had trouble understanding, like I said, I had trouble understanding what was going on and I kind of knew the cultural stuff. I knew the historical context and it was a, a difficult movie. Like I can see why it's considered to be good, but I can also see why it didn't travel well at all. I think in saying that you couldn't answer the question, you kind of have. So I guess we'd say... You almost have to do a bit of research on the movie before you watch it. And and by research, I mean more than just this podcast. Like, maybe Google it. Yeah, look up the Wikipedia article or something. Wikipedia is always totally accurate. Well, sure. I'm just thinking of something that would be easy to find. True. I mean, we haven't even talked about the um, the title of the movie, Asa. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't get why it's called that. So it, I like, mean, they explain a... at the beginning, but I'd never heard that before. I'd never heard that either. It's supposedly a biblical reference with Noah and the flood. Yeah. Immediately after the flood, but Which... still, it's just like I don't get it. So. Yeah. So we both enjoyed it. I don't know if I even enjoyed it. It's, it almost sounds like like you've changed your opinion of it as we've been talking. I mean, no, I, I there are movies that you can recognize that it's a good movie as far as the way it was done and the way it was acted and whatnot, and the music in it and, and everything. But you don't find it enjoyable, and you wouldn't want to be like, yeah, I want to rewatch this because I just loved it so much. I think those are two different things. Sure, I think I definitely want to. Rewatch this at some point, but I feel like I might revisit parts of it more often than I might watch it end to end. It's kind of a intriguing, like I don't want to call it a mess because I think it's deliberately made the way that it is, but it does have a very loose feel to it, mm-hmm. like. If you wanted to, you could have that amount of plot in... You could take like at least an hour out of the movie and it would still be the same plot. I think it would be a way more boring, run-of-the-mill movie for it. But, yeah, perhaps more accessible, but... Don't know. So I'm guessing I'm saying, this is it's a really interesting film. Culturally important. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, it's a big deal in Russia, which is why it got selected for this season. And it looks great. And I like the atmosphere and the humour. I know you don't necessarily agree on 
mm-hmm. the latter one particularly. But basically what I'm saying is maybe check it out, but if you get to the end of it and just go, what was that? Don't hate us for it. <laughs> uh-huh. But there is one thing I think we should mention before we wrap it up. I meant to mention it earlier when we were talking um, about the performances, but uh, we found out today uh, the rather sad news that Stanislav Gavrukhin, who played Krimov, actually passed away today. So, yeah, that's kind of a weird coincidence, but yeah, that was super, super sad. But I'm glad I got to see this movie and enjoy his really fantastic performance as a really horrible person. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it does make me want to check out other stuff that he's in. And I think he was a director as well. So, yeah, Stanislav Gavruchin, a talented guy, clearly. Okay, so I think that's the end of the podcast now. Um, thank you very much, Carrie, for being a guest again. And thank you for having me on and feeding me before we recorded so I wasn't hangry this time. Although maybe I shouldn't have had a drink right before doing this. Eh, whatever. Okay, thanks very much for listening, folks. Thank you. Do svidaniya. Do svidaniya. (laughs) Yeah, you shouldn't have had a drink. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media, please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now.